Welcome to the See the Upside podcast. I'm Nina, your podcast host. Sometimes life throws you a complete curveball, and usually we never even saw it coming. One of my own biggest turning points came in the form of divorce. What I've learned about the difficult moments is that it's not what happens in our lives that defines us, but how we handle and view those moments. Every challenge is an opportunity for expansion. That's what I like to call seeing the upside. On the show, we dive deep into all the ways to uplevel your life with a focus on always finding the positive and growth. Interviews with industry experts and innovators in the areas of wellness, spirituality, relationships, personal growth, and more share their wisdom and insights on how to create a life you love. Whatever challenges you've been through, be it divorce or otherwise, you deserve to discover and live your very best life. We're here to help you find it. Thanks so much for joining the conversation, and I really hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show. This week's guest is Carrie Dagenhart, life coach and dear friend of mine. Carrie's been on the show before. You may actually remember that she was my very first podcast guest ever. This time, we're going to talk about what Carrie does for a living and how she helps transform the lives of her clients through her business as a life coach. Carrie has a very special, insightful way of guiding her clients to the answers that are already there inside of themselves and helping them to find their purpose and path to living their best, happiest lives. In the interview, we touch on a variety of topics, including how a life coach can help you heal after divorce, overcoming roadblocks and obstacles, connecting with your inner truth and wisdom, and why she likes working with young women in particular. I always love my conversations with Carrie, and because you do too, we've decided to have her on the show on a regular basis where we will cover all kinds of topics together related to personal growth, self-awareness, and rising to become the best version of you. So lots more good to come with our new series called Conversations with Carrie. I can't wait for you to hear today's episode about how a life coach can help you transform your life for the better. And who doesn't want that? Thanks for joining us today, and let's get on with the show. Hi, Carrie. Thanks so much for joining See the Upside podcast again. It's so great to have you back. It is so great to be here. I always love talking with you. Uh, well, and I love our topic we're going to touch on today, which has to do a little bit with basically what you do, what your profession is, and how you help other people. So the topic we're going to discuss is coaching and what exactly does that look like and how you help people and work with clients. So let's start with talking about what a coach is. What, what is that exactly? Well, a coach can be many things, especially if you have a certain expertise that you want to focus on. And there's a lot of different coaching training programs out there, but I'll just speak specifically to what my journey looked like. And uh, so I had been in corporate HR for 15 years and I, and there was all this development that I worked on with my employees 
And I felt like it just sort of stopped, especially when I got to the personal level. And then it just mainly was focused around career. But even then, like my hands were sort of tied because my loyalty was to the company. And so uh, there are a lot of corporations that, ha- that use a coaching certification program. And the company is called CTI, or the Coactive Training Institute. And companies like Zulily and Zappos were training their HR employees in coaching to better help assist employees just living a more balanced, fulfilled life, because it's not just work and it's not just personal and it's not just our health. All these things combine to make someone a, you know, a happy, functioning, uh, productive individual. So I went through the coactive training program and back in 2016, first of all, the training to become a therapist versus a coach is much different. I mean, to be a therapist, you're going to go back to school there. It's a little bit more rigorous. I did pick a coaching program that is probably one of the most rigorous out there. Went through over a hundred hours of in-person training in like sort of a school-like setting. And then after that, it's a six month certification program where you work in a pod and then you coach your individual clients and you record those conversations. And then later on, you're, you're getting guidance from the training Institute. So it was pretty rigorous and it's, it's definitely one of the top coaching programs in the U S and it's also internationally recognized. So that didn't really answer your question though. Your question, (laughs) what's the difference between therapy and coaching? And that's, that's, it's hard to, I don't want to be black and white about it because even in my coaching program, there were a lot of therapists that were there. And so I know a lot of therapists that use coaching principles. And so I don't want to say that it's all one way or all another, but I'd say the biggest difference is a coach and particularly with the coaching program I went through is your partner. So you come to the table, whether it's an issue you're trying to work through, or you're trying to understand yourself better, or you have a specific goal, or you're, you just aren't peaceful with the way that your life is heading, your coach partners with you, holds space for you, holds you accountable, calls you out, asks, you know, really probing questions. I've been in and out of therapy and coaching. I've done both because I think that we should take care of our minds as much as our bodies. Biggest difference I'd have to say is that my therapists were amazing at really just holding space for me and listening and asking questions, but it was sort of a kinder, gentler approach. And I'm not saying that coaching isn't those things also, um, but in my work that I do with my coach, it's, they really hold you as the highest version of yourself. For example, in the, co- in the coaching training Institute program that I went through, our motto or our belief is that nobody is broken. You are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. So there's nothing really to be fixed. Yeah. And it's a beautiful premise to just really, when you work with your clients, that there's nothing broken or needing to be fixed about them. If anything, it's just peeling away the layers of preconditioned thoughts or, or trauma or life experiences or family relationships or all the things that sort of told you or shaped you into who you thought you were. And I'd say the biggest thing that I run into in my coaching is just, you're not in alignment with your truest self. And that's, I think that's what the, I would say my main purpose in coaching or my main driver is just to bring people back to themselves. 
Well, and would you say also part of it is maybe releasing limiting beliefs? So part of that peeling away the layers and letting go of what what you thought you were and who you thought you were allows you to rise to your best self, like you're saying. So it's helping guide someone to realizing what that is, acknowledging it, stepping into it, but also challenging them to you know, become what they want to do and where they want to go. Absolutely. I think that whether we mean to or not, a lot of our, a lot of the way we navigate through life is through the wounds that we have accumulated over the years. So there's your wounded self and then, which can be looked at as sort of like the childlike self, or there's the highest version or the empowered self, which would be your, you know, quote unquote adult self. So I think throughout our lives, we, are influenced by other people's judgments of us. We have our wounds. We have these things that we've accumulated over the years. And then they create sort of a filter for how we show up. My main goal in coaching is really to just sort of peel back what's true and what's not true in that scenario. And, and like you said, to question those limiting beliefs, because beliefs are just thoughts that we think over and over again. And then the more you hold on to a thought, the more it becomes a belief and I think Joe Dispenza is the one that really does some really great work around this, where a thought becomes a belief and then a belief becomes a personality. And so if we're telling ourselves disempowering thoughts that aren't true, and then we start to believe them, then they become incorporated into our personality. Yeah, it's interesting. I think sometimes you can get stuck on a story and it becomes your truth, but it's really not. And you and I have had conversations in the past before where I've had a problem and you've said, well, is that really true? Like you ask me hard questions saying, you know, why do you, why do you think that? Why do you think that's true? Is that, is that a fact or is that something that you believe something that you've come to believe? Maybe it's not your story anymore. Maybe you can change that. And it sounds like that is a lot of the work that you do is that you're able to help people see things for what they are, allowing them to change what they think is possible and, and identify what they want and create goals and just create the life that they want to be living. Absolutely. And I think that the biggest you know, takeaway from coaching is this power of choice. Um, and it's not even just choosing your thoughts. It's, it's choosing the way you show up. It's choosing what you want to believe and what is true. It's, it's, there's so much freedom in the power of choice, because I think sometimes we think we need to do things a certain way. We, we all have roles. We're moms, we're somebody's daughter or son or spouse or student or grandchild whatever these roles are, we feel, and we sort of get stuck in what, what am I supposed to be doing right now as a mom, as an employee, as a spouse, rather than sort of opening up the idea and the freedom around choice and, and picking new ways of showing up and not getting so defined by the labels we carry and what we think we're supposed to be doing. Nobody's asked us to do those things or be that way. But we get stuck in that, in that sort of preconditioned, preconditioned notion of who am I as a fill in the blank? Well, I think so much of it is unconscious. Like, I think so many people are just walking through life 
not wondering why they do things, why they believe things. And that's such a huge, been a huge part of my own personal growth journey, which is stopping and becoming aware and looking and feeling into what does this mean? Why am I feeling this way? Where does this come from? Before I went through my divorce and kind of had my personal growth awakening, I didn't even think about any of those things ever. I didn't, I just was going through life reacting, you know, someone would hurt my feelings and I'd be upset. I wouldn't ask, why did that hurt my feelings? And how did I put myself in that position to be treated that way? And what's, what would be a better way to react to get the result that I want? I wasn't really consciously living and creating and being the person that I wanted to be. And it changes everything. Like you're saying, once you realize you have a choice and when you, once you start having awareness around everything that's going on, why you're at this place, why you have these kind of relationships, why you are in this job, what, you know, whatever all the choices are, those are all, you know, we all have roles in, in how we got here. But the beauty of that is we have so much possibility and choice and where we go from here. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, it changes oh, totally the, whole, the whole thing. Oh, I totally agree. I love the word possibility, possibility, potential. Like those are, those are just really empowering words. And I would, you know, I was the same way as you, like, you know, when I was younger, twenties and thirties, I just was sort of doing what I thought I needed to do. What comes next? I, you know, I get married, I have kids, I have the job, I do the thing. I, you know, and I just sort of was following blindly along and, and similar to you, like not really questioning things I was picking up along the way, you know, just the ability to let things go, to really identify where they came from and to let them go because they no longer serve me. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me once I went through the training program to be a coach is that I just, I learned how to let go of things that no longer served me, whether it was a belief or a habit or just a way of being that was really constrictive, that was anything that was putting me in a box. And so I, and that's really what I try to bring to the table you know, for my clients. Well, speaking of your clients, tell us a little bit about what types of communities you specialize in serving. Well, when I originally started, I, you know, ironically, I thought, okay, I've got all this corporate human resources background. And a lot of the people that I knew that were going through the training program were just peers of mine within the human resources uh, world were all becoming um, executive coaches. And that, that really appealed to me. I thought that's something I can do. I've got the executive HR background. I'll just, you know, roll right into executive coaching, but that's not what life brought to me. So immediately upon exiting the training program, I was brought my first, I believe she was 18 turning 19 at the time. And it was, you know, a young girl uh, in college going through a breakup. And I just, I, I felt really drawn to her and, and just what she was going through and the age that she was. And as that continued, there's sort of this whole referral process happened where I was then coaching her friends, friends of friends. And then that all of a sudden sort of became not intentionally 
my niche. And I didn't realize it at the time. Like I still continue to reach out and I I still coach people of all ages, male and female. But the more I started coaching these young women, the more I realized this was what my passion was. And And it really ties back to what you and I just said, as we were going through our twenties and thirties, we didn't, you know, we were just sort of doing what we felt should come next. And here I had this amazing opportunity to open the eyes of these, you know, my clients range anywhere from like 18 to, to 30. And then again, like I have some older clients as well, but the majority of them were, are within that age range. And it's, it's such an exciting time to stop them from this trajectory of being educated or formed or shaped by outside influences and to draw them back into themselves. What do they want? Who are they? What's their truth? What's the highest version of them? So that as they become, as they move further into, you know, adulthood or middle age, that they're not following, I guess you could say my footsteps or, or the choices that I made, or, you know, they're, they're living in a more empowered life with so much more possibility going back to that word again. Yeah, I love that. Well, we didn't have these kind of tools. Coach, I don't know that coaches existed. If they did, I didn't know about them. There were therapists, but therapists, when we were at that age, you know, in high school or early college, were when you had a real problem that you needed to unravel. It wasn't necessarily to proactively create a better life. And that's what I love about this is it's, it's not a negative and therapy really isn't anymore anyway. I don't think people necessarily do it that way, that it's much more, more of a proactive wanting to be better, feel better, experience better. But coaching, I think does the same kind of thing that it gives you that connection to yourself, like you're saying, and allows you to kind of guide you to what is calling you. I mean, I really never thought about any of that at that age. I had no idea. I was just in, you know, working, hanging out with friends, whatever. I was not conscious of creating and manifesting a life I love. I didn't know that was a thing. So I just think it's, it's amazing. And I would love, I mean, as you know, I have two daughters and a son, you have two sons. I would love for our kids to be so much more empowered, so much more aware, so much more conscious, so much earlier, but they need to be introduced to that. Mm -hmm. I think this is where coaching really comes in. And I think it's just really exciting and amazing that you're doing that. So with this age group, what are some of the things that you're seeing these days? I mean, this generation that's in their 18s to late 20s is very different probably than we were at that age, right? I mean, they've got a whole different name. Are they, are they millennials? I don't know. What do we call them? We don't call them anything. Maybe that's, maybe that's the wrong question. No, they do. I can't remember off the top of my head. They're not millennials, but yeah. So they're younger than that, but yes, they, they do have a name, but some name that Google gave them. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's very, it's very different. I mean, all of the uh, same pressures, you know, insecurities, all the basics of what it is to be a human are still there. It's just that they have different influences that we didn't have 
you know, technology obviously being the, the number one that would be a big influencer. So yeah, I mean, for them, like I, it, it's, it's difficult because there's a lot of comparison going on and everything looks a lot different online and social media that it does in real life. And so there, there creates a lot of insecurity there. Also, you go through a breakup and you can pretty much see immediately what your ex is up to and who he's dating now. And so there's this all, there's just, there's a lot more access to information that can cause you pain and a quicker, faster yes. speed. Like ignorance and is And if bliss. they're like, there's like a group of girls having a sleepover and you're not invited, you're going to see it because they're going to yeah. post pictures and make yeah. TikToks together. And you're going to, and right. whereas in our world, maybe we never would have known. Right. Exactly. Which would have been better. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was saying. Ignorance can be bliss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in some areas, but it, yeah. So there, there, there's that aspect of it that, that is different than when we were in that age group. Yeah. So that would be, I mean, but as far as like the core issues, it's, it's all the same. It's they've accumulated beliefs or thoughts or patterns or ways of being based on, you know, their childhood their relationships, their friendships, you know, any of, you know, core influencers in their life. And they've created a story about themselves and where they get really unhappy or really stuck is when they believe that story, but it's not in true alignment with who they are. But in the moment, all they know is that they're unhappy or they feel stuck. They don't understand why. And so we sort of dig in together as partners to sort of uncover, like, how did you get to this place of disempowerment. Like, how did you get to this place of not being happy or feeling stuck or feeling like you couldn't make change? And let's say one of them is afraid of making change. Then we dig into where did that belief originate from? And, Mm -hmm. you know, can, is that still true because you had this certain experience that created that belief and now you've been carrying it with you for the last few years. So yeah, we just sort of dig in together and we really just question. It's like turning over every rock along the path and seeing what's underneath it and like looking at it really gently and with a lot of compassion and questioning it in the same breath. So what does it look like when you start working with a new client? How do you create that roadmap? Is it a series? uh, Like how often do you meet? Does that always look different? What does that look like? Well, when I'm first starting off with a new client, I have a requirement of working together for a minimum of three months, either every week or every other week within that three month period. I just think in order to impact true change, and this is, this is the scientific fact, this isn't something I've just come up with, but in all of the research that's been done on neuroplasticity to make change in the brain, really lasting change, similar to like, if you were to learn a a foreign language, you need to put in a commitment. And really, honestly, the best commitment is 21 weeks to see the change and incorporate the change and live the change. So whereas you don't have to keep revisiting it. And so anyways, but the three month at least gives us some traction towards creating, you know, recognizable change that hopefully is sustainable. They'll come to me with all different issues, a lot of career, a lot of relationships, um, a lot of fear, especially now with COVID fear around everything feels very constricted right now. It's really hard to think in abundant terms when lack and scarcity and fear are being perpetuated not only by the media, but just with the way COVID has asked us to change our lives. So really just sort of stepping out of those mental spaces so they can be more empowered and not 
you know, fall under the pressure of, of depression or sadness around what they, what their perceived limitations are. Like, I can't find another job or how am I ever going to date someone else? Or how can I reach out and meet new friends or create new experiences when everything is so locked down right now? Yeah. Well, hopefully it's starting to open up a little bit, but I think there's going to be quite an ongoing impact on really everybody in the world. I mean, just people in general with this lack of human contact, lack of connection, you know, I think it's, there's a real need for us to all come back to ourselves and come back to each other more. And I'm sure that coaching would, will help a lot for people to navigate that because it's, I think a lot of people feel maybe a little sad, maybe a little lost, maybe a little disconnected, but they almost don't even know why and they don't know what to do about it. I mean, this pandemic coming out of it, it's not like the light turns green and we're going. It's sort of a very slow unfolding. And I think it was a world trauma that we all are going to come out a little different. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what is the solution? How do we find the healing? What did we learn from it? And how can we take that and keep it with us and move forward and be better, but also heal from the trauma that we had from it? Yeah, I think this is a, as we come out of it, hopefully, um, as things are starting to open up, I think it's such an amazing time. And I just, if, if there was any gift I could give the world right now, it'd be to be really intentional about how we come out of this I know the pendulum is going to swing the other way and there's going to be a whole new sense of freedom and movement and being able to see people and go places and do things. And I understand that, but I do think there have been some gifts that have come out of COVID that I hope, as I mentioned, if we're intentional about what do we fall back into once life returns back to normal, do we continue to go to the office every day? Do we continue to overschedule our kids with sports? What does school look like for you know, children and young adults? What, 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 as, a, as a mom, as a businesswoman, as like, what, how do I wanna structure my day? Do I wanna work you know, standard eight to five or do I want to work on weekends sometimes and take weekdays off? I just, what I hope for as we come out of COVID that we recognize the things that we really enjoyed about the togetherness with family and the quality time that was spent, the Zoom calls with, I mean, I, I was Zooming with my brother who lives outside of Seattle. COVID didn't need that to happen in order for us to do that. Why weren't we doing that already? It's not like I get to see him all the time. So I think that there are certain things that I hope we can be really intentional as we come back into quote unquote normal life that we decide and we use this as an opportunity to say, identify what our yeses are, what our no's are. And that's a lot of what we do in coaching as well. Yeah. I love that. I agree. I hope there's a lot of residual change and, you know, appreciation that comes out of it. I think that's important. I agree. So how does, how do you know if you are a good candidate to seek out a life coach like you? Like, how do you know that maybe that would be beneficial? I mean, I'm sure everybody to some degree could use it, but who, who would be a good candidate for that? Anyone who has a desire that's not being met, anyone who has an ongoing worry or fear that they can't shake, anybody who has a goal that they're trying to reach but is having a hard time staying motivated, 
anybody who's questioning any aspect of their life and wants to make change, but doesn't know where to start. And that could be really anything. So I think that if there's a nudge within you for something different, bigger, less, what, whatever it is, and you're not quite sure how to approach it, there's a change you want to make, but you don't know where to start. You don't know how to stay motivated or just a burning question in, inside of you. Like, is this how I'm supposed to be? Is this the way my life is my life going on the trajectory that I want? there's so many different aspects of coaching. It's really sort of hard to nail it down to like whether or not you're a candidate. But I just feel like if you have an unanswered question or desire, a want, a goal, a dream, a confusion, a feeling of being stuck, those are all great places to start in coaching. And the thing about coaching that's so great is that, and I tell this to all my clients, like our goal is not to work together forever. And I do have clients that I've worked with for many, many years, but the topic has always changed or the focus has always changed. And we've gone in and out, you know, sometimes working once a week, sometimes working once a month. And uh, what I love about that is that we'll form this relationship and sort of trust between each other. And then once things feel like they're in a better place, my clients will move on. And then they can always circle back to me knowing that we can pick up right where we left off. And there's that, there's that knowing between us, but yeah, I mean, if it's a specific thing that you're working on, you know, and maybe it's just as simple as a goal or a belief that you want to change or just being feeling more empowered in your day-to-day life that could go relatively quickly, depending on how committed you are. Okay. So on your website, you share some of your methods that you use. Can you explain some of those, like some of the things that you might do in a session? Um, Well, it all starts with just a lot of questioning. And the questioning isn't like challenging or or too complex. It's just I'll I'll hear a client say something and, and either I'll have a question because I need more clarity or I'm questioning what has actually come out of their mouth and want to see how deep the belief is. A lot of times it's just as simple as repeating back to somebody, something that they've said. It's amazing how many things will come out of our mouths that we're not really even listening to ourselves. And it, and sometimes it's been as simple as, you know, one of my clients the other day, I just, I caught her, uh, she was saying, try, oh, I'll try to do that. I try. And within the conversation, she probably said, try 20 times. And so it was just as simple as me saying to her, as you go through your day and you're working with people you know, at work or with with friends or in your relationship, notice how much you say, try. And then let's talk about that. Let's sort of identify that. So sometimes it's just a matter of me noticing patterns or words, phrases, ways of being, and either questioning them or asking my client to just notice as they go through their day. One of the other techniques I use is sort of a visualization of if a client wants to get to a certain point feeling a certain destination that I sort of walk them through a visualization of like what it feels like when they get there. Not so much what the specifics look like, but more the feeling so that they can sort of encapsulate that feeling and take that feeling of arrival with them. This sort of elevated state of being, if they can hold on to that and like check back in with that as they go through their day, they're going to find themselves being more empowered, more open to opportunity with it that can actually manifest in their life. I love that. I love visualizing and manifesting. It's such a like positive vibe thing to do Mm -hmm. rather than digging into your trauma is like, oh God, do we have to do that? (laughs) You know, but visualizing your dream life. Now that's fun. I love that. 
yeah, there's fun things and, you know, only uncomfortable things when they're necessary. Like if a belief that you have about yourself is tied back into your childhood, we will unearth that a little bit and we'll just, we'll just question it. And you know what? Half, if not more than the half the battle is just bringing awareness to something. Yeah. Being aware of a way you have of being or a certain way of feeling and, and Sometimes we're so anxious and I, I'm guilty of this. I want to change things. It's like, I've, I've identified something in myself that I want to change and I don't know how to do it. And I sort of start scrambling and I, and I want to sort of force some sort of method to change a way that I feel. And really sometimes the only way to change something is to bring awareness to it and notice it throughout the day. And it dissolves on its own just with well, awareness. Yeah. And you and I have also talked about the value of meditation and journaling. I know you're a big journaler. I'm a journaler in kind of like a different way, not in a, I I don't like to handwrite in notebooks. I do it more like typing in my phone and the notes, but it's essentially journaling as well. And then we both meditate too, which I, I love going back to that idea of, connecting to that feeling of what you want to manifest in your life, what you're trying to feel, what does that look like and feel like? I think that is so powerful. And sometimes it's different than what you think. So for example, I will meditate and, you know, kind of visualize for the rest of my life or what, what I want my career to look and feel like. And I really go into how I feel, how I start on a Monday, like on the career side, like what am I doing during the day? What is, you know, what, what is the abundance level feeling of it? What's the, you know, and sometimes you really identify things that you didn't realize were what you really wanted, which you know, on the partner side, it might be, you know, you've always dated really dynamic, good looking, fun, you know, charismatic guys, but really now the feeling that you want to feel is safety and comfort and, and belonging and a calm, a calmer feel. So some, and, you know, sometimes it takes that, that moment of reflection and pause and clarity, you know, stopping your day and stopping the dating and stopping the meeting and just kind of, you know, running after it, assuming that's what you want and becoming much more intentional about it and realizing, oh my gosh, this is what I actually want. It's so much different than I thought it was. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's just taking that pause to really notice what you're doing, how you're thinking, what you're saying. And that's really what's so beautiful about coaching is just, it it creates that space. I can't say that all my clients meditate. And so sometimes they're not, they're not taking that pause. And a lot of times, some of the biggest issues they run into is that they'll run out to, they'll have a problem and they'll call their five closest friends. Each friend has a different opinion. And then they're getting sort of persuaded by that opinion. Like I had a client who had an issue. We talked, I didn't tell her what to do. All I did was point out to her that she already knew what to do. Cause she was telling me in, you know, not so direct terms. She, she had a lot of peace around it, fear, but peace because she knew deep down as she checked in with her body. And as, as we talked it through that, that was her choice that she was going to make to, to not do something. 
Well, she then got on the phone and talked to a couple friends who all had differing opinions and, and not anything really in alignment with what she was deciding. And she had to call me back because she got sort of swayed by these outside influences. And we do that all the time when we're not checking in with ourselves and what's true for us may not be true for everyone else. We give a lot of our power away to the people that we care about. And we, we, you know, we do this in the best, with the best intentions that somebody knows better than we do what's right for our lives. And I think that's one of the things I love most about coaching is that I will hold a space for the client that is them at their highest self. And I do not bring my own personal baggage into the scenario. Whereas if I were to call a friend and talk to her about something that maybe hit a little too close to home, all of a sudden I'm wondering, are we talking about me or are we talking about you? Because they'll bring in their sort of preconceived ideas or notions around how something should go or what's right or what's wrong. And then all of a sudden I'm getting swayed in a really chaotic way. So I, that's what I love about coaching is it, it always comes back to that. You know, what's best for you. Again, you are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. You are not broken. All the answers are within you. That's the whole point of meditation is to clear out the mental uh, chaos and jumble and noise so that you can connect into the truest version of yourself. And for those people who aren't comfortable with meditation, a really simple way to just sort of reconnect with yourself is to just sit and feel your body. You're not breathing, your eyes aren't shut, but you are really in your body. Cause I think when we're in fight or flight or freeze, or you know, now the new term is fawn, that we disconnect from our body. And it's really important to just sort of ground yourself in that way. I think that is such a great temperature gauge of what the right decision is when you, you know, rather than polling friends, which I was a big, I did that all the time. I was mm-hmm. always trying to get validation. You know, you want to know that what you're deciding is the right choice. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What should I do with this? Did I say this right? And I think I, I've since really worked on that and put effort into that, into not only listening to myself, but feeling into what making one decision versus another decision feels like. So a couple of years ago, I was interviewing for a job and I didn't know the answer. I was really struggling with it and I couldn't decide, should I take it or not? There were, and I, made like a list of pros and cons. And I, I thought about it. I asked a lot of questions. I asked other people. And then finally, I just decided I'm going to sit here in meditation and visualize myself working in the job. And what does it feel like? How do I feel? Do I, is it, does it feel right? Does it feel happy? Is it a hell? Yes. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. another thing as I've stopped you know, if something's a question, I think that's part of your answer too. I mean, I want to have more hell yeses, whether it's a relationship, a job, whatever it is, friendship. And then I, backing up to the, that job, I sat in it thinking, well, what if I don't take that job? How am I going to feel? Am I going to feel regret? Am I going to feel disappointment or relief or what's there. And I ended up not taking that position because it just didn't, it, 
I think my motivations were not the right motivations. So I was able to answer my own question finally. But I think that's, you know, it's so hard to get to that point where you trust yourself. And I think especially coming out of divorce where I have had feelings of lack of confidence in my own decision-making partially because my marriage ended in divorce how and and things happened that I wish I would have handled differently so I think you can end up in that place in life whether it's from divorce or other things where you lose confidence in your ability to make decisions but I think the answer isn't to start pulling other people I think the answer is to go deeper within and look a little bit closer. And probably the reason I wasn't making the decisions I should have been is not because I didn't pull enough people. It's because I didn't go deep enough within myself and I didn't honor what my heart and soul were saying I should be doing that. I kind of went on autopilot and just, you know, did what I, whatever I did, but you know, I think that's the, the more time you spend, it, it's a little bit like a muscle or learning a language, the more you practice and get familiar and comfortable and do it, the more natural it becomes and the easier it becomes to hear that inner compass or voice telling you where to go and what to do that. And then you build that confidence that that voice does really know that maybe some of your choices that you would have done differently, maybe you didn't quite listen well enough, or maybe you were supposed to make that choice because there was something there that you were supposed to experience or learn. Right. So, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I don't think there's any mistakes. Everything's a opportunity for learning, but so now just in, in everything that you just said, and it is you and I both being in our forties and divorced and, and gone through a lot of life collectively and separately, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can see why I'm so drawn to this age group because, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have married my, my ex-husband or I wouldn't have gotten divorced or I can't, I can't answer. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the ability to see in the yeah. past, but I do know that had I had a coach when I was in my formative, you know, young adult years, I'm sure my life would look much different and I don't have any regret, but I do have a commitment and a, a passion to empower women starting at a young age so that they yeah. know how to use their voice. They know their yes. They know their no. They, they know who they are. They know what they stand for. They don't take anybody's shit. They, you know, these are all the things that just truly empowering them in a very compassionate way and, and showing them, you know, how they've gotten to where they are today. There's a lot of compassion around that. We all have parents who've shaped us in some way. We've all had life experiences. And I think when you point out to people, and I know this has been, you know, really important to myself, like when you show people what they've been through and sort of how it shaped who they are, I think it helps grow their compassion for others. Yeah. I really do. And so it's not that I, you know, my hope is to coach women into being 
egomaniacal and, you know, <laughs> take no prisoners. It's really not that at all. It's about building compassion. When you build compassion for yourself, I think you have a greater capacity to give compassion to others. And then just to really stand in their, their highest, truest power, an empowered version who is caring and kind and considerate and makes, makes good choices without having to pull everyone like, you know, you and I did or used to do. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a way, I think empowerment is a, is a misconstrued word sometimes like people envision this like warrior goddess who's like cutting people down with a sword or something, but empowerment can be incredibly compassionate and kind and loving. It just means not being, uh, to me, it means living that highest self without apology. And I think this is actually a topic that I'm going to write about soon, which is, can you embody kindness, but also garner respect? Because I think in my life, I've, I've felt at times that the kindness side of me has taken away my empowerment a little bit, that I've let kindness and wanting to be liked, I guess, over being empowered. And I think you can have both. I think you can be empowered and step into your authentic truth, but do it with love and kindness and compassion. And I think that's kind of the new awareness we all can have as women, as young women, as women, you and I having gone through experiences, which I think at all, this is why we went through those experiences. It's crystal clear to me that this, what, I mean, this is our heart's calling, you know, this is the whole reason why we went through all the hard things we did was so that we could turn around and give back and empower and lift up, but with a total positive slant to it. There's not an ounce of regret or resentment or anger or negativity. It's all positive. And I think that's, you know, it's possible to do that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I have no regrets the way my life's turned out. I think it's shaped me in profound ways. And even though there's been very painful moments, I just, there's also within, and this is one of the things I like to work on with my clients. And it's something that I really had to work on within myself that when things are taken away, it creates you know a vacuum of sorts for things to move in. And if we can really stay, we can still mourn our loss and grieve our loss, but stay open and present to what comes in. And for me, you know, with, within my divorce and then, you know, sh- shortly, well, before my divorce, my mom passed away from cancer, but in all of those experiences of loss, I, I found beautiful friendship, yeah. uh, the support of family, you know, opportunities at work. I just, I was, I felt so held um, because I, I was committed to keeping my eyes open and looking for it and not just going down the drain with all the pain that I was in. Well, and I do think there is incredible love and kindness and compassion that emerges when huge pain rises. And it's a special kind that can only come in those really hard moments. That's Mm -hmm. when the biggest gestures of beauty and friendship that I've ever experienced in my life was when I was at my like rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could have felt it or appreciated it or seen it if 
it hadn't have been so painful in that moment, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then just, you know, another thing to coach on, you know, with anyone really, and I had to work on this again for myself is self-compassion. Yes. Oh God. I'm still working on that. I mastered that. That's a really hard one. (laughs) Yeah, it is a tough one. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. um, And there's just, there's been a lot of great work that's been done around this. Can I be nice and still say no or, or push back or have boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. So boundaries are just obviously such a hot topic right now, but there is some really good work being done by Nicole LaPerla, the holistic uh, psychologist. She's got a great new book out right now about boundaries that I would recommend to anybody who's looking how to honor their voice and create boundaries around their needs. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I didn't have really any boundaries. I didn't know what a boundary was. I, it just, I, I didn't understand that at all. And I think that boundaries are so crucial to a friendship or a romantic relationship and creating balance and respect. And I think there's a misconception that boundaries are negative, you know, that they're a black line in the sand, but what they really do is they define rules. They create definition Mm -hmm. and they take away gray and say, this is what I'm about. And I think it's a little bit like having a toddler with a regular bedtime. They may say that they want to stay up till midnight, but really it makes them feel safe and gives them a routine to go to bed at eight every night. And I think that's really the heart of what boundaries are, is they're a rule book. They're a map saying, here's what I am. Here's what I'm about. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not. And people love knowing where you stand and what you're about. It makes them respect you. It makes them honor you. And they know how to show up for you rather than just trying to do what they think is right and getting it all wrong. And then you're not you, but like, you know, whoever is upset because, oh, they didn't show up the way I wanted to. Well, if you don't communicate, if you don't have boundaries, you really kind of don't have the right to be upset. And you also all of a sudden have no value, you know, because you say yes to everything. You know, that's what I was like. I said yes to everything. Oh, Mm -hmm. she'll do it. She'll show up. She always does it. But then because I did that, I think, it, it wasn't appreciated. It was like, just taken for granted, like, oh, she'll be there, you know? And I think once I start, and it's, it's hard, those first steps of yeah. creating boundaries, especially yeah, with people that have maybe taken advantage of the boundary, uh, the lack of boundary, it's a little uncomfortable because it's not, it's different than who you are. It's new, but I think it's still okay. And it's our responsibility to create and communicate the boundaries. And in the end, it's so much better. It's been so life-changing for me and it was really, really hard. And I started with little things like, you know, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? Instead of saying, I don't care saying, mm-hmm. well, you know, I, I kind of want to do sushi, you know, just being honest with how I really felt about it and not saying, I don't care. I don't mind. Like, 
I mean, I think about for me, when I talk to someone and ask them, where do you want to go to dinner? And they go, I don't care. I find that kind of annoying, but I do that all the time. Like, you know, it's be who you are, be in your authentic truth. People love that. Even if they don't agree with it, they respect it. And we, you know, I think it's anyway, going. It's a great way to find out who your people are. That's for sure. Anytime I work with, well, or just within my own life, if I'm worried about saying what I need from a person, I'm worried that I might lose that person or offend them, or they may form some sort of opinion of me, then if if all of my assumptions are true, then if I do lose the person, then they weren't meant to be in my life. And that's the other thing I wanted to sort of touch on uh, around boundaries is that as adults or as humans, sorry, all we do all day long is make assumptions about how other people are feeling. Like when there's a lack of information, we will automatically make an assumption. Fill it in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I noticed this a lot with my kids that if I'm stressed about something and I inadvertently snap at them, I can see them literally like within their face, making the assumption that it is about them. And so then I have to stop and say, Hey, I just snapped at you. It's because I've got this other thing on my mind and I apologize for not being present to you and when, you know, what your question was, instead I stayed in my head and then snapped. But yeah, so that's what we do as humans is we make assumptions. We generally make assumptions that everything is about us, about our worth, about our lack of worth, about our lovability. And so I think the beautiful thing about boundaries is, is letting people know where they stand. So they don't have to make those assumptions. Yeah. I love that. That's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned one book. What are you, what are you reading now? What are, what books do you have on your night table? I just, I'm like in the process of reading when things fall apart by Pema Chodron. I just think it's a really great mindfulness practice about, and just, you know, timely with, with COVID and everything and just the way certain structures within my life have sort of fallen apart or changed, I should say. Um, and so it's a sort of a, I don't want to say coping manual, but it's a really great uh, mindfulness guide to how to work through it when things in your life aren't going as you planned. Uh, the other thing is, is you know, I work with a coach and it was brought up that I probably have a little bit more work to do around grieving since my, as I mentioned, I went through my divorce and my mom passed within months of one another. And so I've been recommended the book and I've, I've just received it. I haven't started it yet. And a lot of people might say, oh, that's been out forever. It's everyone will say it's an amazing book, but by Joan Didion, a year of magical thinking. And mm-hmm. I think that it, it's sort of her story of loss. And so I'm looking forward to reading that to sort of helping me in my grieving journal so that I don't take all of my, and this is something, you know, that I get coached on and I coach others on is like that we don't take when we have trauma or things that happen in our lives it's very hard to sometimes separate those things from other things in our lives. So I bring my grief around with me a lot. I bring it into my friendships. I bring it into my parenting. I bring it into my, my family life. So I just, I, it's important to be, to really recognize the, the things that we bring into our lives that maybe need to be separated a little bit. Yeah. Well, and you and I have had many grief conversations and grief is, I haven't had a parent die like you have, but we've both been through divorce, which is a Mm -hmm. different kind Mm -hmm. of grief. Mm -hmm. And I think 
the, the one thing we really agreed upon is that grief is, it's just such a roller coaster journey and it can, it just has, it's not to me, I always thought divorce would be sort of like a gradual healing, but it's really not, you know, it's, you get different waves that hit you in different ways, different realizations at different moments. And someone told me recently, might've been you, I don't remember, but that grief is a little bit like being in an ocean. Like in the beginning, the waves are really big and they hit you really hard regularly, but then over time they start spacing out and they're smaller and you, it's always there. It doesn't go away. Grief just lives with you, but I think you, you accept it and receive it and feel it differently over time. But gosh, grief is not something in life. I ever was taught how to manage and process. And I had no idea it would be like this at all. Well, and I think that what's also important is that I think we grieve, there's the big things, obviously like divorce or, you know, job loss or, you know, death, death, exactly. But there's little griefs, little things to mourn along the way. And I really encourage my clients to take notice of that when there is a change or shift in their life, that they, that they give it the respect and the time, the intention that it deserves. It could be as simple as moving apartments um, and just recognizing sort of the change that that will, that will occur, especially if you're moving away from, from roommates or, you know, moving towns. Yeah. There's little griefs that go along the way. We have little griefs all the time within our professional lives when things don't go that well, or we have a disappointment, little griefs that go along as we watch our children grow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Little things like that. So just really just again, self-compassion and allowing yourself to be sad, even if it sometimes feels irrational. Yeah. And that's another, another whole podcast episode is allowing yourself to feel the hard feelings too. I think for me, for a very long time, I viewed sadness, anger, frustration as bad. And I would do this kind of bury it and, you know, say, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. You know, but that's not the way to process those feelings. And I think there's a message those feelings are telling you too, that's important to look at and feel into and understand. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying to honor, just honor that you feel bad and Mm -hmm. it's okay. It doesn't mean you're going to stay in the fetal position for a week with the lights out. It just means you're feeling it in that moment and Mm -hmm. let it, let it come through you and feel it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to feel sad. It's part of life. So that's that's probably one of the biggest things I do in coaching is just sort of unraveling where those narratives came from, where somebody told you, you weren't allowed to feel a certain way. And I had to do that in my own life because I was always really sensitive and um, and just really coming to terms with that my sensitivity is actually a gift and so is yours and so is everybody else's. Your ability to feel things is actually a gift because the more you allow yourself to feel it, the you're giving it the freedom to pass through you so that you don't have to hold on to it so tightly or keep jamming it down or putting it in a box and it keeps growing and growing. But 
that gift you can give yourself of feeling things gives permission to others to feel their things as well. And it grows your compassion, not only for yourself, but for others. And yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's something I have to work on a lot because I do feel things very deeply and I have high highs, low lows, you know, and at first I had a lot of judgment around that and it, it was picked up growing yeah. up. Yeah. Because people aren't comfortable when you cry. And what I tell my kids all the time, because I've got a, you know, I've got two boys and I'm trying, you know, there's that fine ba uh, balance between masculinity and femininity and, and embracing all of the complexities that make us human. And I'll have my son say, I'm sorry, I'm crying again. And I said, would you apologize to me if you were laughing again? And he said, well, no. And I said, well, is laughing and being happy a human emotion? Yes. Is being sad a human emotion? Yes. Okay, then. The, the, I the, love that. They come oh from the gosh. same place. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be able to ha have our feelings and nobody can tell you that your feelings aren't valid. They're right. your feelings. No one can say you aren't sad. That's no. your feeling. Right. Right. I know. That's so true. So back to my last final questions here. What song is playing on your playlist that you're loving now that you're playing over and over? Gosh, I, that's, that's a tough question to ask me. I'm a, I'm a little all over the place with my music. I like everything from classical to, you know, old school hip hop to hair bands to current music that's playing. I'm like really stuck on, it's an older song, Casey Musgrave, uh, Slow Burn. Really stuck on that. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know why I just love the melody. But um, okay, you know, I I listen to everything. Literally, I just I don't. I have favorites that I go back to. One of the things that I love to do is when I see a movie I like, I like to check out the soundtrack, especially if it's like a yeah. feel good movie. I'll go back to the soundtrack, and even though maybe it's not like a song I would necessarily love on a playlist, I love it because it brings me back to the feeling that I had when I was watching the movie. Yes, I agree. Oh my gosh, A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. Mm. I love that soundtrack. Oh, no. I just played it over and over. Yeah. And I love Lady Gaga. But yeah. Uh, and then one last question. What do you do? What's your go-to when things get hard? When life throws a challenge at you? What's your what do you do on those days to take care of yourself? I uh, get outside. I get outside. That's so like, I'd love to say I sit and meditate or I journal <laughs> and I, and I do do those things, but depending on how stuck or the severity or the depth of what it is that I'm feeling, the only way to truly ground myself is to get outside. And that can be to go for a walk around my neighborhood or go down to the beach, put my feet in the ocean or to go on a hike, but getting outside is, is where yeah, I, it's where I feel most connected and most grounded. I love that. So how can everybody find you on your website, which is, tell us what that is. Yeah, so it's carriedecoaching.com. And um, hopefully we can just put some links in the notes under the podcast and how yes. you can reach me uh, for coaching. Because for some people, it is sort of a new concept. I do offer a 45-minute free sort of intake consultation, exploratory conversation. If you are on the fence or, or don't know if this would work for you, 
you know, just like in therapy, it's like really important to find that good fit, somebody that works well with you, somebody that you can connect with and feel safe with. So I do offer that 45 minute call. If anybody's interested, they can find out how to contact me on my website. And yeah, I just, uh, I look forward to, to hearing from you. That's awesome. Thanks so much for joining. I think we're going to have to do this again for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at c.theupside and Facebook at seetheupside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.